You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to be talking about this idea of God's comfort for those who are downcast. That's something that's brought up in this portion of Scripture. It's very applicable, and it's something that certainly encourages my heart, and I certainly hope it encourages your heart as well. But before we take a look at the Scripture that we're looking at today, I just want to mention a couple quick things. First off, a big thank you to those of you who have been leaving ratings and reviews for the podcast on iTunes. That's extremely helpful to us, and we're very grateful for that. Some of you have also left ratings and reviews for our sister podcast, which is the Chapter a Day Audio Bible. So thank you uh, to those of you who have done both. That's greatly appreciated, and it's certainly encouraging to read. We also appreciate those of you that have taken the time to contribute toward our hosting and production costs by becoming a supporter of this podcast ministry. If that's something you'd be interested in doing by contributing even just a dollar, our website is pastor.us, and you can see the link right on the front of the website to do that. I also want to make mention of one other quick thing. We've noticed that some of you who listen to this podcast have been taking the time to email us with prayer requests, and I just want to make mention of the fact on this podcast that if you have any prayer requests that you'd like us to be praying about during the course of any given week, just take a moment to visit us at pastor.us, and there's a link there to contact us, and please, by all means, let us know if there's a way that we could be praying for you, and we will be happy to do so. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, we're going to be looking today at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 9, and in this portion of Scripture, among some of the other things that are mentioned here, we see this idea of God's comfort for the downcast being discussed. And when you think of the idea of comfort, when that idea is something that you're trying to dwell on for a second, what sort of images come to mind? You know, do you picture like a perfect setting? Do you picture someplace warm or a context that's warm or the idea of maybe being around uh, delicious foods or something like that that provides some level of comfort? Do you think of it in the terms of words of encouragement or words of endearment or something along those lines? I know one of the things that has recently brought at least a, a degree of physical comfort to our household is a gift that we were given just a, a little over a month ago for Christmas. A friend of ours decided that it would be a, a nice gift for our family to give us a handmade blanket. It's a, a nice large blanket, but it's a kind of blanket that uh, during the winter you take and you cover yourself with when you're sitting on the couch or sitting on a chair watching TV. And uh, it's extremely comfortable, very warm. It's the blanket that we all seem to fight over now. <laughs> I notice that uh, whoever gets to the family room first seems to grab that blanket, and uh, everybody else, I guess, is is left in discomfort or left in uh, the cold a little bit. Uh, but it's certainly a, a very comfortable, very soft blanket that provides warmth, and we really enjoy it. And um, there's obviously a much deeper level of comfort than a blanket, but it's kind of an image that we have in our mind that maybe illustrates the concept. And when we look at this portion of Scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we see the Lord revealing through the Apostle Paul the level of and the kind of comfort that he delights to supply his children. 
So if you would open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 9, and this is what it says in this passage. We read, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege to be able to take a few moments together today to look at it. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture and its discussion of the comfort that you provide to your downcast children, and how it's illustrated through the experiences and the words that you gave to the Apostle Paul, We pray, Lord, that we would take encouragement from this scripture as well and recognize that the comfort and help that we need is accessible to us through our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we're grateful for this reality, and we pray, Lord, that you'd prepare our hearts to receive it now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians, we have seen a variety of things so far, but there's certain patterns that have emerged in this particular book. You can see that the Apostle Paul was certainly concerned for the welfare of the Corinthian church. He wanted them to be growing in their walk with Christ. He wanted them to be strong in the Lord. He did not want them to be people who were adopting a worldly mindset or a worldly value system. He didn't want them to be going about their lives in such a way that the things that this world were the greatest affections of their hearts, but rather he wanted them to be growing in their walk with the Lord. He wanted them to understand that the things that he was teaching them were things that the Lord had revealed to him, and he wanted to invite them to continue on as partners in ministry with him for Christ's glory. Paul shares very emotionally in this letter, and he also details quite a few theological realities, and we can see one in this passage as well, the fact that God is the source of our true and lasting comfort. And again, we also see this idea that the Apostle Paul communicates the fact that Christ's strength is sufficient for us in the midst of our human weaknesses, and Paul was feeling quite weak as he was doing Many of the things that he was doing when he relied on his own strength, but when he recognized and relied on the strength that Christ supplied, he recognized that he was amply supplied, and that even though his body was, in many respects, wearing out, 
His inner man was refreshed and restored through Jesus Christ, and that's something that's true for us as well. And the Apostle Paul here, as he's speaking about God's comfort for the downcast, he illustrates a few different ways that God provides that comfort. And one of the ways that we can see the comforting hand of God at work is in the ability to see the bigger picture of God's plan. Look again at the first few verses here. Let me jump down to verse 2. This is what Paul says there. He says, Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Then he goes on in verse 4 to say, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. When you genuinely care about someone or something, you're showing yourself to be compassionate, but you're also opening up your heart to be hurt. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the song by Garth Brooks, but Garth Brooks has a song called The Dance, and in it he has a line that says, I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. And it's an interesting overview of life. There's a lot of truth in that sentiment. And some people, sadly, spend their lives living very cautiously because they've been hurt or because they've been burned before, and they don't want that to be the case again, that the pain feels like it might be too much for them to bear. And so they go through life being overly cautious, really just trying to avoid pain, but not truly living to the extent that Christ invites them to live, and it would be completely understandable to me if the Apostle Paul felt that way at times, particularly when you look at the ways that his life went and some of the experiences that he had. We know that Paul loved Jesus. We know that Paul loved making Christ's gospel known. Uh, Paul delighted in the planting of churches. We also know he spent a lot of time invested in training leaders. Uh, He also delighted in instructing people in the details of God's Word. But as he did this, there were plenty of times when he was hurt, and he was hurt deeply. We know he was opposed, he was beaten, he was insulted and criticized and even falsely accused. But by God's sustaining grace, he lived to fight another day without hardening his heart toward the people or the mission that Christ had entrusted to him. And you have the Apostle Paul's heart being comforted during seasons of being downcast. And a big contributor to that was the fact that he could see the bigger picture of the plan that God was working out. In fact, he goes as far as to tell the Corinthians in this passage that he was overflowing with joy. That's how he phrases it here. He says he was overflowing with joy. He was overflowing with contentment in Christ because Regardless of his often difficult circumstances, he was grasping the greater work Christ was doing through these difficulties and in the lives of the people that Paul was seeking to serve. So he was comforted. He was overflowing with joy. He was overflowing with contentment in Christ. In fact, this joy and confidence in Christ that Paul expresses here helped motivate him to speak with boldness toward the Corinthians. Often, that can be one of the most difficult things for a leader to do, to speak with boldness. I happen to remember a particular time when I was managing a snack shop in college, and I needed to confront an an employee who was older than me. I was in my early 20s. He was in his early 30s. 
but I was technically his boss. I had oversight over him, and I noticed and was impacted by the fact that he was slacking in his work. He would often come into the snack shop, and instead of helping to wipe down tables or help me with working the checkout or serving food, I would often catch him just sitting down watching TV in the dining area. And I let this go way too long. I shouldn't have let it go really at all, but I was new in leadership, and, and I let it get, I let him get away with um, just way too much in that moment because I think when I look back at what was going on in my mind, I think I was concerned more with how I looked than I was concerned about doing what was right. I cared more about how I looked in this man's eyes than I cared about doing what was right in that particular moment. But the truth is, leadership is not about everyone loving you all the time. What leadership really looks like and what it really means is is saying and doing hard things for Christ's glory and the greater good of those that you're leading and those you care about. And because Paul's confidence was in Christ— He was joyful, and he was bold. What do you suppose that combination might look like in our lives? Can we see the bigger picture of what Christ is accomplishing through us and even around us? Maybe we could even ask this, what kind of fruit can we see him producing in the lives of those that he's called us to serve? When we look at the Apostle Paul, when we look at how the Lord was comforting him, I think One of the ways that the Lord was comforting Paul was by giving him an assurance of the bigger picture of the plan that he was working out, and that all these details would all work out for the good of those that Paul was seeking to serve and for Christ's glory, because God doesn't waste any of our experiences. He uses them all for our benefit and for his glory, and I believe that Paul was confident in that. So he spoke with boldness, but he had deep joy, he had deep contentment, overflowing joy, in fact, in Christ, who accomplishes this kind of work. And the scripture goes on to tell us that Paul was comforted in other ways as well. In fact, when we look at verse 5 down to about verse 7 here, uh, it, it indicates to us that Paul was comforted by the genuine concern of those who were his fellow laborers. Look again at those verses. It tells us in verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Let's pause there for just a moment. The other day, I listened to several historians. They were giving a a synopsis about what life was like in the 1800s, and they were sharing particularly about the nature of rail travel, so traveling by railroads during the 1800s. And I wasn't aware of this until listening to them speak, but apparently it was miserable. And many of the, the railroads didn't like the thought of transporting people because they felt that people complained and cargo didn't. (laughs) I guess that makes sense, right? Uh, They'd rather transport cargo than people. And so riding was uncomfortable for early passengers on railroads. Um, My understanding from listening to them speak is that the cars were often smoky. Uh, They oftentimes would be filled with things like ash from, um, you know, just the coal furnaces that were helping to, to power 
the the locomotives and even the the food options that they had while they were traveling were just deplorable and in fact a writer for the New York Times at the time said that it was more dangerous to eat the food than it was to ride on these new railroads. People would arrive at their destinations completely exhausted. They'd be completely worn out. And many people chose not to ride on the railroads at all because of the reports of just how terrible the experience happened to be. And in fact, it took a while before travel by rail became more enjoyable and more accommodating for passengers. And I imagine that the Apostle Paul would probably sympathize with the travel difficulties of others. Because when you look at his experience as it's, as it's spoken of in multiple scriptures, but even here in particular, he speaks here of his arrival in Macedonia after much traveling and stresses that, that he and those who were with him were exhausted. Right? He's, he's indicating here that their bodies and their minds were taxed to the point of breaking. Their hearts were heavy with concern for their well-being, but even beyond that, I imagine they were concerned for new believers, the people they were trying to to minister to and take care of spiritually. Paul and those who served with him were also being physically threatened in some contexts because of the content of their message. They were fearful for the well-being of their team, but gratefully, God did not abandon them to those fears. He brought them comfort in the midst of their affliction. I think we can all agree that comfort is a wonderful thing. But we need to be careful because while comfort can be a wonderful thing, it's not something to worship. I think it's one of the main things we tend to strive for in life, but it isn't God's main goal for our earthly lives to to provide comfort in the material sense, which is often what most people are looking for in this world. He does, however, delight to bring ultimate comfort to his children. In fact, he's referred to as the God of all comfort in the opening chapter of the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So that's what the scripture says there about God being one who comforts. And you have Paul rejoicing in God's willingness to bring the comfort that they needed during a season where their hearts could have been excessively burdened with sorrow. And it's also worth noting that Jesus stressed that it would be to our benefit that he returned to heaven Because when he did so, the Father would send the Comforter to be with all who believe in Jesus Christ forever. In fact, in in John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17, Jesus makes these comments, and I'm going to read them from the Amplified Version, because uh, that version expounds on the meaning of what Christ was saying. But in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive and take to its heart, because it does not see him or know him, but you know him, because he, the Holy Spirit, remains with you continually and will be in you. 
Jesus reminds us that the Holy Spirit is both with us and inside us. We are never without the source of ultimate comfort once we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how did God intervene in Paul's context to bring comfort to him and to his team? A couple things are listed here. First of all, the Lord sent Titus to Paul. And secondly, Titus came to Paul and reported that the Corinthians were repenting of their sin and embracing the truth of the gospel as they had done at first before getting sidetracked. The Lord used the genuine concern of others as a means by which to supply comfort to Paul and comfort to those who served with him. Now, when we think about ourselves for just a moment here, let me ask this. Are you in need of ultimate comfort? How might the Lord be offering that to you? Maybe through his people or through prayers that are being answered? Is he offering that in the confidence of his indwelling presence? Maybe all three and maybe even more? Here we have the Apostle Paul recognizing the fact that the genuine concern of fellow laborers was something that the Lord was using to bring him comfort. And Paul mentions something else in this passage that I don't want us to miss. He indicates here that the Lord used something else to to bring him a level of comfort, and that was through prompting a mindset of genuine repentance among the Corinthians. This is how it's phrased in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. What's the scariest word in the Bible? Is that a weird question to ask? I guess to a degree that that might be a a subjective question, but I think I could accurately suggest a word that many people treat as a scary word, even though it really isn't. I think the word repent is a word that scares people, but it should be a word that we recognize as helpful and beneficial to our well-being. It's a word that Paul uses in these verses, and a thought that he develops throughout the rest of this chapter, and we'll look at that next time. But some people think that repentance is a concept primarily aimed toward those who don't know Christ. But that's a limited understanding of the concept because both believers and unbelievers are encouraged in Scripture to repent. In the context of the life of an unbeliever, they're called to repent of their unbelief when they trust in Christ for salvation. And in the context of a believer, we're also called to repent of our unbelief when it becomes apparent that false beliefs are clouding our understanding of our walk with Christ. So basically, in a nutshell, to repent is to turn back to God after having turned away from him. That's a good thing that we should always welcome. And at some point, it appears that in addition to the biblical books of First and Second Corinthians, Paul must have also written to the Corinthians a confrontational letter that caused them to grieve. And after writing it, Paul started to experience some regret. But now he was rejoicing because the Lord used those words to prompt a mindset of genuine repentance among many in the Corinthian church. This was good news, and it comforted Paul's heart to learn of this as Titus shared this information with him. 
Now, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking more about that concept, the concept of repentance next week. But have we ever taken a moment to think about what the Lord may be calling us to personally repent of? Is there an area where we've been drifting from him that we need to acknowledge, admit, and make a turnaround? You know what helps us to do that? The fact that God already knows our secrets. The fact that Jesus already suffered for our sins, so we don't need to suffer every day with a conscience that's heavy because we know we've welcomed something into our lives that doesn't belong there. The moment we come to faith in Christ, we are gifted with his righteousness, and we are seen as righteous, holy, and blameless and loved in the eyes of God. Does it help us to know that God sees us that way when we're feeling afraid to maybe admit our struggles to him and and maybe when we're struggling to turn back because we're finding it too difficult to admit the mistakes that we've been making? God loves us, and he sees us as his dearly loved, blameless, holy, righteous children, and he welcomes us to repent. He welcomes us to turn back to him. I love looking at this portion of Scripture because in it it shows us that God comforts his downcast children. He does that in a variety of ways. He does that through giving us a greater glimpse of his plan. He does that by blessing us with brothers and sisters in Christ who who show us genuine concern. He does that by reminding us that we can safely and joyfully repent to him. And he delights to welcome us back no matter how many times we've goofed up. His love is not predicated on whether or not we get everything right in this world because that wasn't something we were ever capable of. Jesus is the one who gets it all right for us. And now he welcomes us to join him. We're on mission with him. And he delights to comfort us in the midst of seasons of feeling downcast. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the privilege to be able to look at it together today. And we thank you for the fact that you welcome us into your presence, and that when our hearts are heavy, that you comfort us. And Lord, we're grateful for the many different ways that you accomplish that comforting, but we know that it's ultimately accomplished through the power of your Holy Spirit, who is both around us and within us. We're grateful, Lord, for your presence in our lives. We're grateful for the fact that through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, We are righteous in your sight, and we have the privilege to repent of our sin before you, knowing that you already know everything that we're wrestling with. But you invite us to give it up, to step away from it, and to enjoy the liberty and the freedom that we have in Jesus, instead of being chained to the things that try and drag us down. Lord, we're grateful for this. We're grateful for reminding us of these truths from your word, and we're grateful for the comfort that you supply us in the midst of our seasons of having heavy hearts. We know, Lord, that we can just lift up our heavy hearts to you and that you bring us the comfort that we need. We pray this all in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, and we thank you for your presence with us. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the informal Bible study. Thanks again for the ways that you've been helping and supporting this ministry. We'd certainly appreciate your prayers for us during the course of the week as we seek to help others grow in their understanding of what it means to have a a steady and growing walk with Jesus Christ. If you're able to take a moment uh, during the course of the week to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, we'd be very grateful. We'd also be grateful if you'd be willing to become a supporter of this ministry by chipping in 
and even just a dollar toward our hosting and production costs, and you can do that on our website, which is pastor.us. And like we said at the start of this podcast, if there's a way that we could be praying for you during the course of this week, I hope you won't hesitate to contact us. It's very easy to do so. Just, again, visit our website, pastor.us, and click on the contact link, and uh, we'll be happy to be praying for you. Just mention your prayer request to us, uh, jot it down there, send it to us as a message, and we'll pray for you during the course of this week. So that's all for today. We hope you have a wonderful day, and we look forward to getting together again with you next Monday. Thanks again. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.